Praise God. I want to begin this evening with Psalm 125. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. And as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forever. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous. Let's meditate on that for a moment. The scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous reach out their hands to iniquity. But do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. As for such as turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them away with the workers of iniquity and peace be upon Israel. So let's allow the Holy Spirit tonight to do something new amongst us. It wasn't, it, I wasn't supposed to be ministering a word, but I know that God doesn't have accidents and God is perfect in his timing. We want to allow the Holy Spirit to move amongst us this evening to do something new in our life. Look, it is impossible to please God unless we believe. And we're a, a united gathering of believers. We are the assembly of the living God. And faith comes by what? By hearing and hearing and hearing the word of God. Faith is the substance. It's a substance hoped for. The evidence not seen. And it says that the righteous live by their faith. And that the righteous are as bold as lions. It's faith that ignites boldness and courage. It's when we are afraid that we allow courage to move us, to move with us. David was afraid many times in his life. We're talking about King David, the king, the sweet psalmist of Israel, the beloved of the Lord. He was afraid. When Saul was after his life, he was cowering and hiding in caves. He was afraid of his son, Absalom, who sought to kill him. He was afraid of himself and his own passions and his desires. He was afraid many times and he failed many times. But I thank God that it says that the righteous fall seven times, but they rise again. And fear should not hold us from serving the purpose of God. Fear is the enemy of our lives. Faith is our friend and our companion. David said, when I am afraid, I will trust in God. When I am afraid. And we speak the scriptures over our lives. I was speaking to a young lady this afternoon who said to me, I've, I've strayed. I've lost it. I'm far from God. And I was encouraging her. And as I was encouraging her, I was really realizing that what I was saying was pure truth. She's a young child. I was saying to her, you are a young child. And he is the ancient of days, the father almighty, the good father. You cannot hold on to almighty God from this dimension. He is holding on to you because he loves you. And if it were not so, why would he have died on the cross of Calvary if your good works could save you if you being a good girl could get you to your destination he's a savior of sinners he's a redeemer he's a keeper 
He has not saved us, adopted us to cast us away. He has saved us for life. And not just temporal life, but eternal life. And we want to thank him. Faith is the substance, hope for the evidence not seen. We must believe. We believe in our hearts. Then we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is our Lord and our Savior. As Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Thomas wanted to see evidence. We have seen the evidence of the resurrection. He appeared to many in his resurrected form. The evidence not seen. Hope in. Hope. We need to hope and not be in despair. Because the world wants to steal and to kill what God is doing in our lives. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. We say God hasn't given us what? A spirit of fear, but a spirit of love, of power, and of a sound mind. Because when you allow the demon of fear to come into your mind, he robs you. He steals from you. He paralyzes you. These are spirits from the abyss. One of the strongest spirits in that realm is the spirit of fear. That's why God says, I haven't given that spirit. I have given the opposite of that spirit, love and power and of a healthy, sound mind. I'm getting so many love messages, love messages. What's this? Yes, I do. He just called and said he's 10 minutes away. Do you want him to come or will, you, will he go home? <laughs> we want him to come. We want to hear a word from our Archbishop. We're blessed to have him in the house. And I thank God for his life because he meditates on the word of God. He really meditates. And we need to honor those who, word, who labor in word and doctrine. So I want to encourage you tonight that all things will work together for good. For those who love, who love God, who meditate on God, who stay up in the night watches, who delight themselves in him because there's no one like him. He said in Psalm 23, if we can go to Psalm 23. It's my birthday, isn't it? I had to minister a little bit. (laughs) favorite scriptures the lord is my shepherd i shall not want he makes me to lie down in green pastures he leads me beside the still waters he restores my soul he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake and he says ye though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And this is the portion that I meditate upon. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So whatever's happening in our lives, he prepares a table before us. We will lack no good thing. We will lack no good thing when our eyes are on him. And when you see... The times becoming darker and darker and chaos seems to be reigning. 
There's our wars. We hear it in, in, um, in Matthew 24, 34. Where the fig tree generation, it says, this generation shall not pass away until they see. And this is something that many schools have thought, but people allude into, we may be that fig tree generation. Meaning that when Israel became a nation in 1948, that was one of the greatest signs of end time prophecy, eschatology, that they were gathered together as a nation again. And this victory generation is that anyone that was alive, anyone that was alive then and will see the coming of the Messiah, anyone in that, that time, which is us, that time scale, just different schools of thought. But he said rumors of war, wars and rumors of war and everything else that we see happening around our lives. And we know that the time is imminent. But it's not a time for fear. It's a time for power. It's a time for assurity. It's a time for being able to stand, having the helmet of salvation, being dressed in the armor of God, sharing the gospel. When we hear that the time is short, it shouldn't paralyze us. When we read prophecies and we understand it, it should ignite faith within us to run with the gospel, to share the gospel, especially to our children, our families, our loved ones. He promised us household salvation, but we need to co-work with him. We need to be a part of that like Rahab was. Praise God. Hallelujah. And Satan hates us and everything that God is doing in our lives. He wants to steal that joy. And this is something that I constantly meditate upon. How much God paid the price for us. That he paid for our joy. He paid for our peace. He paid for our salvation. For us to walk in victory, not as beggars, not standing afar off. But we pray. When you pray, you don't pray from the earthly domain. You don't look up as though you're trying to reach God the Father in heaven. The Holy Spirit, who is God himself, lives within you. That's why Paul said, do you not know that you are the temple of the living God and he, the Holy Spirit that lives within us, abides within us. So when you pray, you need to imagine yourself at the right hand of God in glory where the Holy Spirit resides. It's from there that you wage war with the principalities and they're beneath your feet because he's given you that authority. We have no power in ourselves. The power comes from God it comes from Christ who's given his Holy Spirit to live within us that is the power that he has given us to trample upon serpents to nullify the works of the enemy not just in my physical my life but that of my family we have authority to draw the sword of the spirit which is what the word of God the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? But when we're dressed, we need to be dressed in Christ. Like I said to this young lady, in yourself you cannot. 
but dressed in the robes of Christ, you can do all things because he strengthens you. Praise God. He prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. And in Revelation chapter 3 verse 9, it says, Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan. Look around us. Look at our world if it's not a synagogue of Satan. Who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet. And they're going to know that I have loved you. And Esther 5.4, we need to learn to keep our eyes on him, on the king. That even when the enemy is at our table, she had many enemies. If it pleases the king, she said, let the king and Haman come today to the banquet that I have prepared for him. And Haman was an enemy of Esther and the Jews. But she was saying, if it pleases the king, Father God, if it pleases you, let him come. Let the enemy sit at the table. We will still rejoice. Because even when Joshua came into the temple, the devil had the audacity to stand beside him. So don't think you're safe in church, in a building. The only safety that we have is in Christ. We need to trust him. When we don't understand what's happening around our lives, when we don't understand when God is allowing, there's a song that said, God, I know that you can change it, but even if, with one word, you can change this situation, but even if you don't, I'm still going to praise. And that's Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, isn't it? When they were taken into the fiery furnace of affliction and it was heated up seven times. Why? Because they would not worship. Where well, there is coming an hour, even in this country, when we do not worship the beast, there's going to be some persecution. There's going to have to be a decision being made. Christians for too many years have hidden in churches. But there's going to be no hiding place. There's going to be a sifting of the wheat and the tares. How is the sifting going to come about? By decisions that we have to make. By decisions to stand on truth. To stand on integrity. To stand on the promises of God. On the statutes of God. All the things that we have known. We have studied over the years. We've been studying and revising but there's exams to be taken. And there's no rehearsals. There's no mock exam. We take exams in the spiritual realm every day of our life. When we make decisions, our thought patterns, our actions, doesn't matter what the world sees. A man is who he is by what he does in secret. That's the man. A man or a woman is who they are by what they do in secret. And that allows me and you to examine ourselves. Don't we know what we do in secret? How do we live at home with our family? Do we love our wives, our husbands? How do we treat our children, our neighbor, those less fortunate than we are? How do we live? Do we live as Christ bearers? Are we worthy of the name? But we want to align ourselves and do that, try and live that life, but not in condemnation, 
Knowing that when we fail, we have an advocate in heaven, Jesus Christ, the great high priest who became man, who knows our struggles, he knows our frame, he knows our weaknesses. Having no sin, he lived our life to show us it is possible. It is possible with the Holy Spirit living within us because without the Spirit, we can do nothing. He showed us by example when he awoke early and went to pray to his father in heaven. He wasn't doing that just as an example. He did it because he needed to do it. Because as God the son, he limited himself to walk the human journey. He needed the connection with the father through the Holy Spirit that lived within him. And that's the same relationship that is open for us, that we can bow before him. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can have union, union with the Father in heaven, with the ancient of days whose eyes are like fire, with this being. Hallelujah. Psalm 23, 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. And Psalm 45, 7 says, you love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Righteousness equals joy, equals freedom, equals power, equals strength. And we know that when the enemy comes in like a flood, it's that joy of the Lord that will sustain us. I have had many floods in my life, as have you. And when you look back at every time in our lives when the power of darkness came in like a flood, you may not feel it at that moment, but when you look back, you can see his fingerprints. You can see that he held you. You can see that he upheld you. you he was holding you all, the, all along. Don't allow anyone to steal what God has done in our lives. We need to know how to claim our inheritance. And we sang, was it Biba who mentioned last week, Abraham's blessings. We need to claim his blessings. And what were the blessings of Abraham? When God told him to leave his father's house, he didn't know where he was going. That's a blessing. Often when we, are, when we allow ourselves, we have the boldness and the courage to surrender. Because humanity is afraid. It's always afraid. And this is what I'm saying to you, the enemy of fear. When you allow yourself the courage of surrender... Not knowing where you are going. That's when freedom actually steps into your life. Because often we want to be, have everything in control. We want to be in control because we fear tomorrow. So we make so many provisions. This is the nature of the world. This is the nature of investment. This is the nature of, of somehow either buying a property or investing on this or doing because you're afraid of tomorrow's lack but that's how it's not that's not how it should be when you are a christian 
Yes, we work while it is day. Yes, we know the lessons from the ants, from Proverbs, that we should gather for a rainy day. But that shouldn't be our focus because God is the bread of life. The same as the Israelites, he provided the manna from heaven, but he provided enough just for the day, just for the day. And he didn't want the greed of man that they'd go out. Isn't it amazing the way God allowed it? Enough for the day. And if they gathered more for the next day, it was rotten. And that's the reality of sometimes what happens in our life. When we're gathering and we're gathering, we're holding on to it so tight. It's rottenness to our bones. It's rottenness to our spirit. Why? If you haven't got money, you're worried. If you've got, look at what's happening in the banking system, the stocks and shares, the big pension trusts, the hedge funds. They're worried oh, what's going to happen to their money that they've accumulated over the years. And it reminds me of the parable that Jesus spoke of, the rich man. He had so much wealth, so much produce, and he said, what am I going to do with all that I have amounted? I'm going to make bigger barns to store what I've worked for. And that night, the angel came and said, fool, tonight your soul is required of you. So let's not be deceived by the things of this world. Let's build while it is day in the kingdom. Let's store up treasure in heaven where neither moth can destroy nor thief can steal. Deceitfulness of riches. We want the laughter. We want the joy of the Holy Spirit. We want to be the Isaac that dug wells and there was joy. That's what we need because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And as the time progresses, we need to stand united together and strong. Neither looking to the left nor to the right. And keep your rank, church. You were created beautifully, wonderfully made. You don't have to be like anybody else. All you need is to be available. Let's stand together. We're going to sing one last worship song as Bishop comes and makes his way. I'm so glad you're in the house. Let's give the Lord a clap of him for his life. God bless you.
Praise God. Let's give the Lord the clap as Bishop comes to share the word. God bless you. God bless you. It's good to be here. Have a busy, busy week, manic week. Uh, had to be more than one place at one time. Praise God. But, you know, only God can do that. But we try to imitate him in some ways. Praise God. Amen. God bless you. Good to be here. I was listening to the wonderful worship praise and the message seen a pastor is giving. It's my one. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Amen. Tonight I want to touch upon, I will get on a journey. And um, I want to look at a, a passage in the scripture that conveys that journey. Uh, and it's within the Psalms. I want to look at the longest, who knows who, which the longest Psalm is? 119. Good. 119 is the longest Psalm. And I want to look at it, just look at the structure of it, the matrix of this Psalm. In fact, the Greek is numbered 118 because the way they're divided in the Greek, the Septuagint, is slightly different to the Masoretic text. But I want to take this journey through this psalm because um, the Hebrew writing you read from right to left and the Western you read from left to right. And it's about a journey coming back to God because when the Greeks sought to see Jesus, uh, he made a statement when he was said the Greeks want to see him when they were going to Jerusalem for worshipping at the time of Passover and different celebrations. And he said in Greek, na And it was, a, it was revealing, it was significant because it was showing that the, the nations were coming to find Jesus because the, the cross event encompasses the whole world. And Jesus didn't just come for one specific people. He came for all humanity, even for the enemies and for the friends and for the household and for the stranger. He came for everyone. And this is built into this psalm because the way this psalm is broken down, it conveys how God's economy of salvation is spread out to the four corners of the world. And this is broken down in different stances. It's broken down in... There's 22 sections of this psalm, and each section has eight parts to it. And it covers the whole Hebrew alphabet without the vowels, without the breathing, but it's the Hebrew alphabet, the 22 uh, consonants of the Hebrew alphabet. And it goes in that order. And it's not an accident. There's a plan, there's a design behind this psalm. In the same way the universe was created, the design in relation to the universe. They want to know that God exists, just look at the universe. The universe is, the universe is more intricately made than your watch, than any computer system in the world. The way it functions, the timing. We set our watches to the universe. The universe doesn't set its time to us. So it shows there's a mind greater beyond our, our limitations. So there's a mind of design, and God is the great designer. Amen. Amen, praise God. And so Psalm 119 begins with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which is Aleph. Which uh, it's it, the Hebrew alphabet is a is a picture alphabet. It's that not just the words say something, not only uh, the sentences, but every letter conveys a message. There's deep and rich meaning within the Hebrew alphabet, and every letter says something. And the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet is Aleph, which in the original uh, version, the construct of the letter at the time of Moses was an ox head. It represented the ox, which is a sacrificial animal. 
And it also, because Hebrew doesn't have a numerical system, the letter is the number. And that's why when trying to find out what is a 666, we need to look at the letters, not the numbers, to understand what John is saying about the mark of the beast. So the letter is the number, and it's the same with the Greek language. It doesn't have a, a numerical system, the letter becomes the number. So alpha, vida, gamma, letter begins one, two, three, four. That's how you calculate. And Hebrew, aleph, beth, gimel, dalet, che, is the, the numbering system in the Hebrew. So don't have a separate number. If you put aleph, it's number one. And that's how it's calculated up. And then we go right through to the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which is tough, which ends the psalm. So it's interesting because it begins with tough and it ends with it begins with Aleph and ends with tough. But interestingly, in Genesis chapter chapter one, if we go to Genesis chapter one, verse one, something happens interestingly here. There's 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 words or letters that are not translated in English because if we look at the Hebrew and we look at the first reading from right to left, uh, we read the fourth letter of the Hebrew alphabet, one, two, three, four. The fourth word, two letters, is Aleph and Tough. Okay? And that word is not really translated into English. It says, Bereshit, bara Elohim, Hashamayim, Ve'etz, Haaretz. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But that two letters, they are not really translated into English. They try to explain them in grammatically, but they're, they're really, if they're not there, that still makes a sentence, still gives the word. And what are these two letters all about? And interestingly, Psalm 119 begins with Aleph and ends with Tav. And that's why this, everything's interconnected within the Word of God. The wisdom is to understand this, come into that revelation, into the spirit of the Word of God to help us have a rich, deep understanding of what is God actually saying. So God is saying to us, there are no accidents in my Word. It's not made up as it goes along. There's a mind behind this because this was recorded before the foundation of the world. You were saved before you were made. I saved you, then I made you. Yeah? And so let me go back to Psalm number 119 just to see what's happening here. It's very interesting. You know, and also uh, the, 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 the way God identifies himself as well. There's a mystery behind that. And it's a, re it's a revealed mystery. God wants to reveal himself to the world, but we've got to be in a position to be able to receive his presence. And we've got to receive his presence on his terms, not on our terms. Yeah? So it begins with the, the, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which is the ox, which means sacrificial animal. And to come into the relationship with God, the sacrifice has to take place. In fact, the tabernacle that God gave Moses to construct in the wilderness implied speaks of sacrifice to come close to him. Because the entrance at the entrance of the tabernacle is the altar of, of sacrifice. And but then you cannot enter the Holy of Holies unless you pass through the altar of sacrifice. And then you have the laven to wash for cleansing. And then you come into the holy place. And then from the holy place, you come to the holy of holies. But before you can come start your journey, it has to be a sacrifice, has to, be, has to take place. That's why Paul tells the, the Roman church, because him being a good Jewish scholar, in, in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says this. Uh, he says, he says uh, uh, let me go to verse 1 actually, sorry. He says, Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, what? A living sacrifice. So everything begins 
by virtue of sacrifice. That connection with God begins with sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. If you want to come to God, you need to sacrifice has to be take has to take place. We offer the sacrifice of praise, of worship, of ourselves, of our servitude. Yeah? We commit ourselves to God. And then he says, verse 2, he says that you have to change your mindsets and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect and perfect will of God. And it's about the will of God, what's important. Not my desires, not people's desires, but God's will is a paramount of paramount importance to get us to where God wants us to be. Because that in the Lord's prayer says, not my will, thy will be done. We say that with our mouths, but with our hearts, oftentimes we are detached from God. From that confession, from embracing and owning that statement, we separate ourselves. Because often more than not, we do what we want to do and not what God wants to do. God wants us to fulfill our purpose. And that's when we actually come alive. That's when we know we live. People are trying to grab to make sense and gratify themselves in this world. And as Penny was saying, that we don't know what the next moment brings. When I was listening to that message, for your soul is required of you for this evening. No one knows what the next moment brings. You know, we see what we see in the news reels all the time. Premature people passing over prematurely. We had a celebrity this week passing over only 67 years old prematurely. God rest his soul. No one can guarantee at the height of their popularity, they're taking out the, oh, we plan for next year, we plan for next year, but no one knows what the next month brings. And that's why we need to connect with our destiny, with our, we, we need to connect with our purpose and the will of God. That's what sustains us because the will of God is still remains uh, relevant when even we pass over because we'll be in his will, because we'll be in his presence continually. Praise God. So it's all about offering sacrifice. So when the tabernacle God gave Moses, he didn't give it just haphazardly. He didn't just put it there just for an afterthought. Oh, it might be good to put this furniture here. He put it there for a specific, a specific purpose that in order to get close to him, you have to die. And the old Greek saying, you have to die before you die in order not to die. When you die, it must come true. We have to die to the old man in order to, to when we do die physically, not to die spiritually, eternally. The, death has to, the whole Bible speaks about death. The Old Testament was all about death, dying, sacrifice, and letting go. But how often do we want to let go? We want to hold on to everything we can. Praise God. So let's say we take this journey. So the word of God, the word of God is a doorway. The wise understand it's a doorway. And it speaks of a doorway coming into a new realm, new dimension, new level of being, new level of experiencing God. Hallelujah. And so coming back to Psalm 119, which is amazing, begins with that left means sacrifice. And it says makes a confession because there's eight verses in every stanza, every eight verses to every letter of the Alpha. There's a meaning in relation to the stage of our lives that we are traveling through at a particular moment. Someone can be in their left stage. Someone can be in the Gimel stage. Someone can be in the Beth stage. You are in a stage of your spirit, of your journey in life. The important thing is to be in that journey, that road. The psalm is a road to get us somewhere. And our left says, blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Verse 2. Blessed are those who keep his testimony, who seek him with their whole heart. Verse 3. 
They also do no iniquity. They walk in his way, in his ways. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. Then I would not be ashamed when I look into all your command commandments. I will praise you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I will keep your statutes. Oh, do not forsake me utterly. And this is the end of the first, the first um, letter, first stanza. And not only does every, it begins with the A, but every sentence begins with Aleph. It's amazing. It's profound. Let me just go back. Let me just go back to verse one, just to show you that show you that there's a concept of design. God has designed you, designed you in a perfect way. So it begins. It begins. Ashore. It says this. It says. It says. Aleph. Okay. It says Aleph. Let's go to verse two. Let's see what's happening in verse two. Very quickly. Let's go to verse two. Verse two says Ashef. Again, if you just highlight start with the first the first letter, just highlight. That's Aleph. Let me go to verse three. Let me go to verse three. Let's highlight the first. That's Aleph. Let me go to verse four. Let me go to verse four. Aleph. Let me go to verse five. Aleph. Let me go to verse six. Aleph. Let me go to verse seven. Aleph. Let me go to verse eight. Aleph. Now, there are no accidents. There's a design. There's a reason for that. God wants sacrifice, 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 sacrifice. You cannot fulfill his statutes unless you're prepared to sacrifice the old ways for God's ways. Not my way, thy will. John the Baptist said, I must decrease, he must increase. What was he saying? John the Baptist represented the law. The law must decrease and grace must increase. And he's saying, well, I want to know your statutes. I want to walk in your path. I want to know your ways. But to get there from one point to the other, something must go. Paul says, anyone in Christ is a new creation. Everything old has passed away and everything has become new. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Now let's go to the second stanza. Wow. The second one is this. Beth. Look at the, look at the next verse 9. Verse 9, if you highlight the first letter. Beth. First letter. Beth. The word Beth means house. The word Beth, the word Bethlehem, the root word of Bethlehem is house. Bethlehem means bread. Lehem means bread. It means house of bread. And Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He was the bread of life. So there's no more fitting place than the bread of life than to be born in the house of bread. Yeah? Okay. So it's bread. So it means house. It means when we sacrifice, we qualify to make our abode in the house of God. So David says that I may dwell in your house, in your kingdom forever. Is that right? I may dwell in the house of the Lord for in Beth, Beth forever. You cannot get to Beth unless you prepare to let go of the old ways. Hallelujah. Praise God. And it says in verse 2, it says, how can, in verse 9, how can a man cleanse his, verse 9 please, how can a man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word? If you want to change, embrace the word of God. If you want to be empowered, embrace the word of God. Verse, verse 10, with my whole heart, again repeated whole heart. Because if you're half-hearted, you're, you're, you're 100% away from God. 
A little leaven leavens the whole, the whole lump. The thing is this, if you have a glass of water and you take a speck, a drop, the ratio of the water, say for example is one litre, you take a speck of bacteria and drop it in that one water, a minute speck in that one litre water, that one speck will contaminate the whole litre. And it's, more, it's smaller than the water, but it has a power to damage the whole. And when we say we serve God 99%, that 1% will corrupt the 99%. That's why Jesus said, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. Because it will affect the whole body. If you've got gangrene, you get it off. If there's cancer, you get it off. Because it will affect the whole body. It will spread. Like, like they say, like cancer. And you've got to cut these things off. But there's spiritual parallels. And there's spiritual viruses that we need to protect ourselves from. I wish I'm speaking to someone. And that cannot happen unless you give your whole heart to the purpose. You give your whole heart to the move of God. You see, people think the church is an event. They look at it as an event. I've come to an event. This is a meeting. It's an event. The church of God is not an event. It's a movement. It's not a one-day occasion. I've come to church today. You're living it. You have to live the church 24-7. It's not just coming once every so often, frequently, uh, when, when, sporadically. It doesn't want to serve a purpose. If you're trying to achieve something in life, it's a consistency that gets you to that place, to fulfillment. It's the tortoise and the hare syndrome. The tortoise and the hare. The hare thought it had everything going for it. It was, out, out, it was faster than the tortoise. It could outdo the tortoise on every level, in every capacity. But the tortoise was, knew it was a marathon and not a sprint. And it was consistent. The, 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 the hare took it for granted. And sometimes we take things and we miss out because we become lethargic and procrastinate. And don't take responsibility for where we need to be and we should be in serving the purpose of God. Hallelujah. If you have the busy, busy schedules I have in my week, in my week, you'll think to yourself, well, you know what, well, let me take some time off. No, I want to work harder. I want to work longer. I've got so many things I need to do. Now, last night, I was overseeing an event. I was, before I came here, I was, today was overwhelmed. I've come here because I believe the word of God is more important than me and anything else. Tomorrow, I have to be crossing Felton. I have another event tomorrow. It doesn't matter. We need to serve, work while it is day because nighttime is coming when no one can work. And you don't do it half-heartedly when it suits you. I made a commitment. i just give you a bit of testimony just from heart to heart, very quickly about whole heart. When, be a person of your word. Honor your word. And God will honor you. He says, with my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your, your, wander from your commandments. I want to stay close to you. And we, some, we need God's assistance because there are weaknesses and there's challenges in life and there's distractions in life. And we've got to stay focused, uh, committed to the vision that God's given us. It's about God's vision, not distracting other people's visions. And that's in the course of life. You're going to have five people, you're going to have to make plans. And all of a sudden someone's going to try and sideswipe your plan. Someone's going to take you off your path make you to wander off the course, off the way, and think you can come back to it. 
but you're gonna, it's like Hansel and Gretel. They're going to the forest, to the witch's house, and they put some, some bread on the path to find their way back, and that bread is taken, and they get lost. Because they haven't taken responsibility. And they've used the, the, wrong, the wrong system, the wrong methods. And that's what we do oftentimes. We sometimes, we don't, we don't reflect, we don't think about seriously about what we're doing, where we are, where we're going. And how do we get, to, how can we stay in the right place? It's staying in what the Bible says, being in his word. Verse 11. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And that's the place God wants to be enthroned in your hearts. He says he, he's enthroned in the praises of his people, but the Lord wants to be in our hearts. Paul the Apostle in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 5, he says this, and what is the word? The word is Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and God was the word. And in verse 14 he says, and the word became flesh. How does it became flesh? Because it is enthroned in our hearts. He's been enfleshed in our hearts. Paul says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. Jesus Christ has to be in us. Unfortunately, the book in the book of Revelation... We discover that Jesus, at, there's one time, Jesus stands at the door in Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 and says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He says, If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Well, this was a Christian church. This message is directed to a Christian church, to so-called believers. They had all the trappings of the church. They had all the regalia of the church. But God was absent from their midst. Can you imagine this? That you're meeting as a church, you're talking about God, but God is not in the midst of your equation. He's not in the midst of your celebration. You're not celebrating him, you're celebrating yourself. You think you're better than God. So God, is, God, God leaves the building, vacates the building, but he stands and knocks. He says, I'm waiting for you to open for me. God does not break through break into your house he doesn't climb through the window or through the chimney he comes through the door and he wants to be invited I don't want to go to someone's house that I that I made to feel I'm imposing on them and I don't want to go somewhere where I feel they make me feel uncomfortable and make me feel I've outstayed my welcome God is not a beggar God is not impoverished he says, if I was hungry, I wouldn't ask you to feed me. We, he wants us to invite him. But most importantly, not just invite him, give him the title deeds of the house and plead for him to stay. Don't expect, expect him to leave. That many do and expect him to leave. That they can carry on in their uh, promiscuity. Because God still sees what's going on. His physical absence is not his ignorance and spiritual absence. He feels with, even in hell, he's there. He says, if I make my head in Sheol, my bed in Sheol, you are there. Your spirit is there. God is it's by virtue of the fact that the spirit of God sustains Sheol, that, that we feel uncomfortable in Sheol. You get that when you get home. Let me go back to my psalm. It's powerful. This is a powerful psalm. It's about a journey. I'm thinking about a journey as we're coming through 2023. We have a, a retreat coming up in July. I'm telling you, it's a must place to be because I would be the delivering, releasing, 
depths of the word of God to help people grow spiritually, physically and emotionally, to be empowered, to learn what actual a new level of prayer, a new dimension with experience of God, to get all the five senses connected to experience the presence of God, to get into your spiritual dimension. I wish I'm speaking to someone. Because how you're touching God, how you're smelling God, how you're hearing God, how you're seeing God, how you're tasting God is very important. Because you can have a spiritual taste, you can have a, a sensed smell, you can have a, a spiritual touch in the same way the woman with the issue of blood touch the hem of his God. It wasn't with the physical hand she touched him. I wish you get that when you get home. It was in a different way she touched him. That's why the power followed him. Because there's many people touching him. But they were not touching, they were pressing him. But someone actually touched him. And that touch transcended all the touches of all the people around. Because that was a touch from a different place. A touch from the heart. And it, it surprises me that we make vacations to go to all the exotic places in the world. But when we've got to go to a spiritual place, we count the cost. And then we want the spiritual outcome. When the apostles and, and men and women of God say, come, this is rally together. This is the time that the church has to arise. Oh, I may have something else on that day. Well, when you miss the boat, don't complain to God. I've been somewhere. And I've seen things. And I've experienced things. But I cannot pass them on to anyone. Unless people are consensually want to be in that journey. And want to the God. The God of the Bible. The God of creation. Not the God of man's imagination. Not the God that people make in their image and likeness. But the God who reveals his Shekinah glory to those who are open in the spirit. Who want their spiritual eyes open. The God that the apostles followed that died for. Hallelujah. Praise God. Your word, he says, I have hidden in my heart. What have we hidden in our hearts? Unfortunately, man has hidden embitterment in the heart, anger in the heart, jealousy, envy in the heart, greed in the heart, but not the word of God. And when you hide the word of God in your hand, in your heart, it's difficult to go off straight. Because you've given him that authority. He doesn't force himself in your heart. You invite him in the heart. A transformation of the heart. Verse 12. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. That we we want to learn from everything. and every, We listen to the news rules. We listen to everything in the world. And we miss the whole point. The most important person who needs to teach us is God. We need to go back to those apostolic times attitude. And I encourage you, read the apostolic fathers. Because that was the golden time before the church started moving, veering off from the center of Christ. And we went to the dark ages of Christendom, where Christianity became a, a worldly political movement and not a spiritual revival, refreshment in God. It was about carnality, not spirituality. And using God... When it suited humanity, the name of God to manipulate, to fear people and not to get them to come into relation with God. And that's when we need to come back to that place. We need him to teach us. What uh, Jesus tells us in, in, Matthew, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. This is, this is Jesus' words. Come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Watch this. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle 
and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Hallelujah. Learn from him. We're learning from everything else. Hallelujah. I'm going to give, in the retreat, I'm giving a talk about why, the, regarding the system and why certain things and things are being put in place at this particular time. With all these things going on in the newsroom, which I don't want to discuss on live stream. And I want to show you, not just spiritually, but scientifically, the impact of how the society is teaching and what level, what age, more susceptible people can be influenced by ungodly teaching and philosophies. And I'll teach that factually with video evidence of scientific evidence to understand what the agenda is of the demonic powers. We, go, we have to go back to the center, which is Christ. Because what's coming to this world is unworldly. You would never have experienced it before. What's, what the, set, the setup, you will never you will have not experienced it before. We don't need to wake up. We need to have our eyes wide open. Hallelujah. Praise God. For I'm gentle, lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. But it's not the rest of the world. People of the world, everyone wants to be restful. You can be active and be peaceful and be restful. You can be sleeping all day and you can be unresting. Have you ever slept all night, overslept, and you're still tired? Yeah? You can have a few uh, cat naps and you're up and away and you're empowered and you can be sleeping all night and you're lethargic, you can't move. There's something else going on here. Because we're not just physical, we're spiritual as well. Hallelujah, praise God. And then we go back to our psalm. Let's just go back to the psalm because it's important that we grasp this for you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. Verse 13. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of, of your mouth. With my lips I have declared. When do we talk about God? We're, 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 we're being put in a situation. We're being put in a corner. Right? Uh, that we're afraid to speak. We've been put in a corner that it's wrong. It's, it's not political to say Jesus is Lord. It's not political to pray. And we need to regain our identity in God. Hallelujah. Because really at the end, we are the hope of the world. The church is the hope of the world. Hallelujah. Verse 14. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. Oh, look at that parallel here. It says, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. So the material riches, he, he, he rejoices in God's testimonies as someone will rejoice in material things. Because the riches of God abide, abide forever, but the riches of this world stay here. Whatever you have in the world is going to remain here. When someone passes over, it's not people ask the question, what did he leave behind? And the answer is very simple, everything. What did he leave behind? Everything. What did he take with him? Nothing. Apart from his, his, his relation with God, his heritage, what, what he, what, his relation with God. That's the most important thing. But he left everything behind. 
No one takes anything with them. And I often say at the funerals, at the funeral, at the cemetery, you don't see removal vans. You only see a hearse, and you're you're not taking nothing with you. You're going into that hole. That's it. Verse fifteen. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. And this is about uh, it's a personal experience. That's what he said. It's personal. It's about you and God. It's you reflecting, meditating on his precepts. You look at Psalm number one, which is the door of the Psalms. You see the same things taking place. Meditates on the word of God day and night. The righteous man, the righteous person. And then verse 16, watch this. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Don't forget his word. You know, people forget too often. Remember last week we were speaking about Joseph when he told the butler that he would put the cup back in Pharaoh's hand. He says, when you go there, remember me to Pharaoh. When you get out of prison and you're set free, you're restored, remember me to Pharaoh. And we're told uh, the, the butler did not remember Joseph on the first off. But then later he had a cause to remember Pharaoh. When, when, remember Joseph when Pharaoh had his dream. But initially he didn't remember Pharaoh. And God forbid that our destiny is in the hands of people remembering us. As long as we remember God's statutes, God's word, we are in a safe place. It's not important if people don't remember you. It's important if you remember God. Because God always remembers you. When the thief on the cross said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. How can God forget, forget you? For he loves you so much that he died for you. And he said to the thief on the cross, today you should be. How can I forget you? Because you're going to be with me from today and always. You should be with me in paradise. I wish I'm speaking to someone today. Hallelujah. I will not forget your ways. Well, God will never forget you. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. We have the tendency, we have the capacity, we have the weakness, we have the shortcomings, the short-sightedness to forget a good deed. You know, when someone does so many good things sometimes to us, we always remember the bad things people have done, not the good things. You can do 99 good things to someone and you do one thing that they don't particularly like, they'll remember that one thing and they'll forget the 99 things you've done for them. Isn't that so? I gave an exercise many years ago. I took a white sheet of paper and I put a little dot on that paper. And I showed it. And they said, what do you see? I see a little dot. Don't you see all the white paper? You see the dot? But yet we take the bad from people. But if you go to an apple tree, you don't look for the, 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 the apple that's decaying. You look for the nice apple to eat. But when you look at people, you look for the bad thing about them. We want to remember, we do not forget your word. We don't forget the word of God. It's powerful. It's sharper than the two-edged sword. The word of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's what we remember. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I wish I was sitting there. <laughs> Verse 17. We need to become on fire. We need to become on fire. God is a consuming fire. We've got to be like the burning bush. Burning but not being consumed. Being refined but not consumed. He says he has refined us in the furnace of refinement. He's a fire. He says God is fire. And then we come to the next answer. The next thing. And it begins with the, with the third letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which is Gimel. Interesting. Let me just go a little exercise very quickly. Number 17, highlight the first letter. And these letters actually do not look like they looked at the time of Moses. But for the sake of now we've got the modern 
shape of the hip, but it doesn't matter. Uh, we go to verse 18, very quickly, 18. 18. Highlight the, highlight the letter. 19. Highlight the letter. Well, you got the idea. Now, can you imagine that the person writing this back in the day is 100, Psalm 119, and then you've got 22 letters and eight stanzas, and this person's writing, what word can I, be, what word can I do with the written with Gimel? What's the name? Another word, Gimel. And to make perfect sense for every letter of the alphabet. It's not, as, as, as Deacon Donald says, if he's watching live, it's not humanly possible. And I can show you other depths, width, length, height of the Hebrew language that's going to blow your mind. And if you've got hair, it's going to make your hair curl. And if you don't have hair, it's going to make the hair of the person next to you curl. <laughs> it begins, let me go back to this verse 17. Gimel. Let's look at what's happening here. The first letter is uh, Aleph, which we have as an ox. The second letter is Beth, we have as a house. This letter is interesting because this letter Gimel means something interesting. And in fact, Jesus alluded to this letter when he was speaking to Peter about the rich coming into the kingdom of God. The letter Gimel means camel. He says it's for easier for the, for the camel to go through the eye of a needle. Because there's another letter called Ayin, which means I. It's easier for Gimel to go through Ayin than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And if you want to know what that means, you have to stay tuned. Because I'm not going to spoon feed you these deep things of God. Okay? Let me go back to here. Gimel, dear, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. What's coming back to this word? Uh, coming back to the word. It's very important. It's a center. See, the Jewish nation's um, achievements were not a big monuments. The, the Hebrews' achievement was not in building great constructions like the Egyptians, the, the pyramids. That's why it's two different kingdoms. It wasn't like you see the Aztec kingdom or we build great skyscrapers and we do. That's not our achievement. It's not projected on something material. Our achievement is what's coming inside of us. Your achievement is what's established in you, what you're building in here, not what you're building there. And because at the Tower of Babel, they were trying to build a tower reaching to the heavens to make a name for themselves. And we're doing all these material things outside objectively to show how wonderful we are. But really, we're, we're impoverished within ourselves. It's all out there. There's nothing inside, substance inside to sustain us. And this is the desire of Israel. The most important thing there is the word. And it's that word that established the world, and it's the word, it's the word that transformed everything and brought salvation into the world. But the word was, was, it, it was personified through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's what they wanted, that word. They couldn't fully understand it, what the word represented. But the word was God's manifestation, manifestation of God's presence in the world and in our lives. Because it's the word that sustains the world. Because God said, and it was. And it's his word that sustains our universe, our, our microcosmos universe that we are. It's his word that sustains you. Come on, am I speaking to the wrong people tonight? There might be someone streaming that might. No. 
verse 18. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. Wow, open my eyes. Open my eyes. It's interesting because in the beginning, we're told that Eve saw the tree that was good for fruit. She thought her eyes were open. <laughs> and when she took off the fruit, it says her eyes were opened. Now, this is a paradox, contradiction. It says she saw the fruit was good for food. And then it says when she took off the fruit, her eyes were opened. Which shows the different their metaphors, there's different ways that we can see things. It's our perception. Our perception changes when we have different pieces of information, changes our perceptions and our outlook. And we got what the psalmist is saying, open my eyes that I may see. Open my eyes that I will see in a different way. I can be looking at the same thing from one viewpoint, but when you open my eyes, I'll see the same thing, but it'll have a different value. I'll give you a little practical little bit of information. I was, I was asked, actually, Janet asked me to talk in your school. Remember when I came to speak to the sixth forms, yeah? Remember I came with my deacon, remember? And I said to my deacon, specifically, I said to my deacon, look, I want you to go into the class. You wear your collar, and I wear my tracksuit. And we walked in the class that was expecting the bishop to come and speak. See, I've got a witness here. Because uh, Janet wonderfully arranged it. And I came and I said, and they, everyone was really ignoring me. The way they were perceiving me was different. They didn't really pay much attention. They were looking at the deacon who had the collar. They thought it was the bishop. And when Janet says, well, who was it yourself? Who was it announced me to come up and speak? Was well, Janet. She goes, we're going to ask the bishop to come up. They were looking at the deacon. But then their eyes were opened. And I went in my tracksuit. And they try a moment, a moment a second Second take, take to, to think what's going on here. Because your outlook changes. Because your expectation at looking something is one from one perspective. But when something else is, is put in the equation there that you're not used to, you have a, 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 some, a, a misfunction. There's, a, there's a whatever. You're trying to make sense of it because it doesn't fit in a box that you expect it to fit. Yeah? Okay? So if Jesus comes... People are looking, expect him to come with a big roll, shining glory, uh, with all the angels and all the trumpets. But he's going to come as a beggar. But I don't expect him as a beggar. I'll tread on the beggar to get over to someone who's of more value, more worth. And then I've realized I've just rejected, overlooked, or pushed aside who Christ is. And really, I shouldn't be partial. I should show the same respect to that one as I show to the other one. So I'm not putting one up against the other but I'm respecting everyone through love, through the eyes of love. God doesn't differentiate, and God is not partial. So just because I'm wearing a tracksuit, it doesn't make me less than the person who's wearing the collar. In fact, sometimes people wear a collar, and they're not, they're, they're not, they don't merit the collar. Their life is completely opposite to what the man in the tracksuit or the man who's the beggar might be more virtuous than the one who's wearing the collar. Because we judge people by appearance. And Jesus says, do not judge by external appearance. Judge through righteous way. And so we're saying, open my eyes that I may see wondrous things in your law. Mean that I want to see through the way you see things. We can look at things, but when a bit of information is added, it changes the way we see things. Do you have the plaque, Jesus plaque? Do you have the plaque that I usually, the Hebrew, the whatever, the language? Do you have it there? 
maybe we can show that as a little example for people who haven't seen it. Let me go to verse, if you've if you got it there, put it on there. Can you got it there? Now, and this is something that sometimes when I was doing RE in schools, I, I, I challenged the, the kids to look at this plaque and, and, I, and, and I just asked them a few questions about it. If we, if we find it, have we got it? We can go on YouTube, it's got it, you should have it. Or not on, on there you are. So I, I tell the kids, I say, look, look at this plaque. And I get them to look at the plaque. And I say, what, what language is it? And what's it saying? And many of them don't make heads or tails of it. It's just lines. And I say, look, what I want you to do now is forget the red and look at the white. So where's my long stick? Has someone taken my stick away? What is it? So, I, there it is. Okay. So I say, to, who, who's seen it? Who knows what it says? Can you, have you all seen it? Do you know what it says? Yeah? Okay. So basically, if you look, follow the trace, the white. Okay. Yeah. But people have been looking. Have you seen it? Has everyone seen it? Anyone not seen it? You see, it says Jesus. Yeah? But what, the point I'm trying to make is that when you say open my eyes, it's something added to the information that gets you to see something different. It doesn't mean that the psalmist is walking around with his eyes closed. It means open my eyes that when I look at it, I can have an understanding. And, and people read the Bible with their eyes closed, meaning their spiritual eyes closed. They read information, but they don't embrace it as real, the living word of God to empower them. Believe it like, like a medicine, like, like, like a tool to help them navigate through life, like a compass. They read it as information, and they read, 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 and when a problem happens, oh, help me, I'm in trouble. But you're reading the source that gives you your answer, and you're looking, chasing somewhere else. But you need someone to open your eyes and see it's there, it's been there all along. Zacchaeus was short of stature. And when the Lord came come through Jericho, walked past, he ran on ahead, he saw the sycamore tree, and he climbed the sycamore tree. So before, the, before that, the sycamore tree never meant anything to anyone. But for him, he opened his eyes and said, no, I can use this sycamore tree to see Jesus. And God opens our eyes to see things, to give us an advantage in having a divine vision. Hallelujah, praise. Thank you for that. Let me go back to my psalm. Hallelujah. This is a powerful psalm, this is. This is a powerful psalm. Verse 19. I am a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. Realization. You're on a journey. We're on a journey. We really, I'm a stranger in the earth. When Jesus was crucified, resurrected, he appeared to the disciples in the upper room. And uh, they, they were afraid first, and he said, peace be on you. And he breathed the Holy Spirit and so forth, and he encountered disciples. But two of the disciples went on a course to Jericho Road, and Jesus meets them on the way. Okay? And they're talking about the crucifixion, about what had happened. And uh, Jesus says, and Jesus says to them, what's this you're talking about? Because he says, are you a stranger? They said to him. And do not know what's happened to this Jesus of Nazareth who was said he was the Messiah, whatever, and he was taken and he was betrayed, given over, and he was crucified, and he died. And they said he would rise on the third day in ABC. Are you the only stranger? And yes, I'm in the world, but not of the world. My kingdom is not of this world, Jesus said. 
to Pilate. If my kingdom was of this world, my subjects would fight for me to set me free. Do you not think in another gospel, I could not call my father, he says to me, legions, ten legions of angels to come and free me from all this? If I were, but I've come for your sake. I bear this now because what's going to happen to me is going to work to your benefit. And do you want me, do you want to miss out of the bigger picture, the bigger plan that I have for you? The Lord is saying, praise the Lord. And we have our play, our production, I should say, next Friday. Again, try not, these occasions do not miss the move of the Spirit, praise God. Here, next Friday, 7 o'clock, for people watching live stream at home. Hallelujah. Be in the house. Hallelujah. Verse, verse 20. We finish very shortly. I'm not going to cover the 22, we're going to be here till next year. <laughs> My soul breaks with longing for your judgments at all times. Then you rebuke the proud, the cursed, who stray from your commandments. Verse 22. Remove from me reproach and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. It's what, it, that's at the heart of it, is to keep in his testimonies, embracing his will, keeping his testimonies. Next verse, next verse. Princes also sit and speak against me, but your servant meditates on your statutes. So whatever's happening, you know we complain, that person doesn't like me, that person's complained about me, this has happened. If you don't preoccupy don't own other people's problems. Doesn't matter what people think of you. Let me tell you, if you think you're going to go through life unscathed without anyone ever criticizing you or, ever not, or, or never disliking you or never agreeing with you, you're in the wrong world. In fact, your problem, we're a problem to ourselves. We more than not don't agree with ourselves and we argue with ourselves and we criticise ourselves and we beat ourselves up. We don't need anyone to do it for us. We do a good job of it ourselves. Maybe you can give it to someone else to do. They might do a better job for you. You know, do you want to beat me up today? Because I'm, I'm not doing a good job of beating myself up today. Don't take that literally, please. <laughs> but we are called to meditate on his word. That's enriched and empowered. Uh, if it wasn't for us, we couldn't get up in the morning. We couldn't take a step. All the different challenges we have in life. But thank God that he loves us so much that he enjoys our, our nonsense as well. Our pettiness sometimes. He enjoys it. Verse 24. Verse 24. Your testimonies are also my delight and my counsellors. 25, Deleth, my soul clings to the dust, remove me according to your words. We have the next letter of the Hebrew, what, Deleth, can we go to Deleth? Yeah, Deleth, Deleth, who knows what Deleth means? Deleth, in fact I'm doing, a, I'm teaching on Hebrew in a few weeks time, not here, I've been invited to teach some ministers, but anyway that's a different story. Shall I blow my trumpet? Okay. <laughs> Why not? I blow the chauffeur. Who knows what Dalet means? No? Dalet means door. And he is the door. He says, I am the door. Amen. My soul clings to the dust. Revive me according to your ways. You know, we were made from dust. And he wants to separate us from that down negativity. Because when we cling to the dust, something happens. 
the, the kingdom of darkness has authority over dust, but not over heaven, not over the sons and daughters of God. Hallelujah, praise God. So he's the door that liberates us, sets us free. Hallelujah, praise God. I want to leave it there. I want you to think about a few things. If you want me to continue next week, we can, uh, we can carry on this, this journey of the, through the psalm because it gets really interesting as it goes, as it goes. Sorry? The play next week, the week after. <laughs> Hallelujah. But I encourage you, be a part of the life of the Spirit of God. When I say it's not the life of the church, it's the life of the Spirit of God. These things are not. They're not, they're not things that we just haphazardly do. We had the fasting just finishing, just finishing leading up to the, and people are still fasting now, up to the, the Passover period. We call it the Baschan. The, the, the English word for this season is, is Easter. But oftentimes I, I'm reluctant to use the word Easter because it's not biblically related. The word that I like to use is Baschan, which is the Passover, because it's our Passover. We passed out of Egypt to kingdom, to light, into Canaan. We pass over. That's what really the, 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 the season is, 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 is Passover, not Easter. And it's not about Easter eggs. Yes, there is an Easter egg that represents a tomb, but we, Christ has broken out the tomb. Uh, rabbits. What's that got to do with it? Who put the rabbit? Anyway. Amen. Praise God. So my soul clings to the dust. Let me just finish this actually stand so, so we get to the, the last segment. Next, next verse. I have declared my ways and you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Verse 27. Make, my, make me understand the way of your precepts. So shall I meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts from heaviness. Strengthen me according to your word. Remove me from the way of lying and grant me your law graciously. I have chosen the way of truth. Your judgments I have laid before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Do not put me to shame. We're not ashamed of the gospel of salvation. I will run the course of your commandments for you shall enlarge my heart. Hallelujah. Praise God. And let me just move to the chair. Let me just leave it there just for a moment. Okay, so we're coming to the fifth letter of the, of the, of the Hebrew alpha. We had the, we had the door. So let's recap. What did we have? Aleth is what? Beth. Gimel. Dalet. Now we have the Cher. The Cher means door. So it means window. Thank you for correcting me. means window. And we need a window into heaven. God has opened the window of heaven for us. Hallelujah. Interesting, this letter appears in the name, the tetragram, two times in the Hebrew language. And I will talk about it maybe in future weeks. But I give you food for thought. Think about these things. Let's stand together. I'd like to praise them to come up. Praise God. Doors of the church are open. We're here to worship and praise. Welcome people watching live stream at home. We're about to land now. You can fasten your seatbelts. Cabin lights on, cabin crew, take your seats for landing.